Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we take you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. You may find the answers to questions you did not even think to ask because you did not know the question was there to ask. And another thing that you need to know is you may hear a little bit of ambient noise in the background from time to time. I am currently sitting out on my balcony here in sumptuous Las Vegas, known to some as the hottest city in America. As I said, we go where the masterminding happens. And today we are going to be discussing the topic of why building trust should be every CEO's top priority. I know how it feels to have a CEO blow their trust with you. I know how it feels to be a CEO and struggle to create that trust. This is a timely and timeless topic. So most business leaders and leaders and managers focus on operational, financial, and other tactical elements and forget that the actual most important job they have and must do is to earn and retain their stakeholders' trust. And if they use this prism, how trusted is my brand, they have the opportunity to unlock the power of unprecedented growth, which is why I'm very excited to have you here today. Our guest is someone I've been looking to have on for a while, and I'm just delighted that our schedules have finally aligned. His name is Zane Raj. He is a visionary leader, business accelerator, and industry futurist. He combines innovation and creativity to create new business models for the future. And in his new book, The Pyramid Puzzle, Igniting Transformation with the Power of Trust, he builds a story about how using a framework grounded on proven social sciences, principles, ancient wisdom, and modern-day management principles can ignite business growth. He's the chairman and CEO of Shapiro Plus Raj, or Shapiro and Raj, an independent research and insights company. And he's also the founder and CEO of Zednext, which is an ideas incubator that takes an objective and disruptive look at issues and trends to help marketers and business leaders realize their full potential in a data-driven, digitally-led, and insights-driven world. In addition to the pyramid puzzle, Raj is also the author of Marketing for Tomorrow, Not Yesterday, and Brand Rituals, How Successful Brands Bond with Customers for Life. Woo! Zane Raj, come on in. The weather's fine. (laughs) That was a long intro. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I wonder where it came from. But let me tell you, that is so impressive that I'm not even sure I'm worthy to be here. And this is my show. So, so here's what here's what we want to do. Here's what we want to do. You gave me some great talking points in the in the green room. We're going to speak a bit about more your pyramid puzzle and some of the elements of trust and 
how this impacts business growth. I'm really looking forward to diving into this. But before we do, as I said, right off the official bio, that's the statistical version. What we like to do is pull the curtain back and tell us in your own words a bit about something about your journey that's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Okay, thanks, Adam. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of tone down on the brilliance and kind of, you know, dial up on the passion, right? Because that's that's me. I've been in the business uh, world, going to be, gosh, 40 years this October, right? So been a while. And the one thing that I discovered somewhere uh, early in the journey was the whole fact that I have ADD, which means I yeah. get bored easily, right? Uh-huh. Um, so well, born in a small business family in India, as the eldest son was expected to kind of get into and run the business that my dad was growing as we were growing up. And I accidentally, uh, you know, as I, as I went to college to learn economics, finance, became a CPA, accidentally found a subject called advertising, right? And uh, yeah. fell in love with the idea of being in advertising and then pivoted from being a CPA to becoming a creative and then strategist and a business leader in the advertising industry, which got me into the marketing industry. And for the last 40 years, I've done nothing but, you know, do strategy, build brands, help build businesses. But at the classic intersection of all of those, I learned the whole foundation around the concept of people, right? Yeah. You know, and people and the importance of human beings, if you will, and the importance of what makes people human became the foundation and central to my approach towards solving any problem, right? Whether it's a personal problem, a business problem, a growth problem, a reinvention problem, doesn't matter, right? It got me into that. And I just got passionate around the whole idea of you know, how do people tick? What makes them tick? What makes them move? What makes them behave? What makes them change? What makes them not change? Why is change such a scary word for them? And the studies on that, as you can imagine, over time, having worked with some of the largest companies in the world, having been part of some of the startups, you know, when the word startup didn't exist in the early stages of the internet, um, and other transformations that, you know, when you're old, you go through a lot of these things. Uh, you know, give me a perspective on at the end of the day, you know, what is it that really matters for us as people and as human? And therefore, what should really matter, whether you're a businessman, whether you're a CEO, whether you're an entrepreneur, or whether you're just somebody who works for a living, right? What are What is it that actually matters? And I think that might be part of the reason, you know, I'm here in red Chicago, uh, you know, with thunderstorms going on while you're outside in the wonderful hottest city called Las Vegas. And, you know, why have decided to meet on the wonderful internet to have a chat? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, as I was thinking about your topic uh, over the past few minutes, a little thing from my past occurred to me, and this is extremely micro, but I'm being intuitively told to ask you this because it seems like it ties into something. So let's rewind about 22 years. My first professional job was working as an administrative assistant in a mid-sized company, about 300 employees. And this is a job that I held down full-time while I was also pursuing my MBA full-time. It was uh, 
It was actually a pretty fun job. I got uh, I was split between two departments, community relations and training. And training involved both training the internal staff and the providers in our network because it was a managed care organization. So my MBA concentration was related to human resource management. And my career goal at the time was to become a training and development director for a Fortune 100. So, you know, it was a good stepping stone. And uh, through and through both halves of my role, I was getting some real experience with uh, interpersonal communication and also delivering presentations. I was kind of out kicking my coverage a little bit, and I was having a ton of fun with it. So I remember that uh, now anybody in an office knows that there's a holiday called Administrative Professionals Day. Uh, basically, it's where you celebrate your secretary. And yep. uh, and so this one year, they held a luncheon for us, which was great. And uh, there were about 20 administrative professionals in the company. There, I mean, there were a lot of them. So uh, we all gathered in the executive boardroom. They had a catered lunch for us. And then about halfway through, the CEO stops in. It's like, oh, wow, cool. The CEO's dropping by. And uh, he has a seat at the table. Um, you know, he uh, motions and, uh, you know, he just wants to say a few words. Uh, already, we're just, you know, flattered. The CEO is going to take 10 minutes just to stop by. That's awesome. So, yeah, he gave the boilerplate, uh, the boilerplate speech about how we're appreciated and how, uh, you know, their jobs are not possible without us. And then he goes off on this tangent. And he says, you know, sometimes, you know, we pass each other in a hallway and uh, you say hi to us and we just ignore you. Uh, that's not because we don't care. It's just because we're so focused on our jobs. And wow. at that moment, you just saw the energy in the room flatline. Uh, everything stayed quiet. It was subdued. And even though we were only about halfway through the luncheon, uh, people started to have reasons to get back to work. Now, yep. here's the best part. I understood what he was saying. He was actually communicating that even though it doesn't may not feel like it on the surface, the C-suite does truly appreciate. I, I get that. I got that. But just his delivery of the words and the fact that Actually, nobody had even asked that question. Like, why did he say that? And I felt that something happened with trust. I mean, I actually thought it was ironic because every time I saw the guy, um, he'd usually have a, a couple words for me. He'd ask me how my job was doing, what I was working on. Uh, a couple times he even asked if there was anything he could do to help. So I'm thinking, why is he bringing this up? Because he himself doesn't even model that behavior. He's He has a reputation for being approachable. What's up with that? I felt like trust took a hit for some reason. To this day, I've not been able to fathom why. So even though this is extremely micro and it's only tangential to our discussion, I thought I'd bring it up. I don't think it's micro and neither is it tangential, Adam, because I think, I think what happened is the central thesis that I've learned and I've proven over time, and that's also a central thesis in my book, The Pyramid Puzzle, right? Yeah. You know, uh, at a fundamental level, the, the definition of trust is very, very clear, right? Uh -huh. Make sure you set a clear expectation and consistently either meet it or exceed it, right? Which is, in some ways, in the world of brands, we call it make a brand promise, deliver, right? But from a human-to-human -human standpoint, set a clear expectation. Now, what happens is most people do not set clear expectations. And if you think about a business, right, 
in the world of business, there's a multiple level and dimensions of relationships. So let's get down to your CEO. He, you know, the expectation is set for him to any of the employees or associates in a company. You're an executive assistant. You are support staff. And so your expectation is the CEO does not need to acknowledge me, does not need to know me, does not need to do any of that, right? As long as the environment that I'm working with my colleagues and everybody's good. The CEO, on the other hand, basically had a different set of, in his head, had a different expectation on how he wanted to be perceived, right? Yeah. And I think what happened was what you saw was a collision of two sets of expectations that two different groups had that were not aligned and that were not calibrated. And therefore, it's not that it was a miss. It just didn't make sense. And that's what creates dissonance, right? Yeah. The way, the way I talk about it, right? To me, the fundamental premise, the foundational thing that I have learned is the word trust is the most overused in life and in business, but the least understood, right? It's yeah. foundationally, that's been the big problem. Because what happens is people think that they're in the business of, like you said, community care or in the manufacturing business or hospitality or travel or, you know, consulting, whatever. What, what people need to start realizing, especially business leaders, and doesn't matter whether you're a small business, big one, is that you are in the business of people. Because at the end of the day, no business survives without a human being called a, cus a customer, right? A human being called a supplier, a human being called, you know, your employee, a human being called, you know, owners, stakeholders, investors, whatever, right? It's all people. And what happens is when people forget the, that idea, they land up actually get, instead of understanding the business needs the importance of the people around them to trust it, they get into the business of running operations and become involved in the business in the business versus the business of the business. And so what happens, like it happened to you 22 years ago, is you have a lot of uh, misunderstood or miscommunicated expectations. Let me give you a simple thought. Somebody asked me this question and goes, so what, why is that? And what happens? And I said, let me tell you this. 92% of the Fortune 500 companies, when asked, right, their C-seat, when they asked about the importance of their suppliers, right, they kept on going, oh, we value our suppliers. Our suppliers are absolutely important to us. Yes, yes. So all of the language is right. But when you go to those 92% of the companies and look at the policies, you know what their policies say? Vendor management, vendor payment terms, right? Vendor, yeah. the word supplier doesn't exist. And so why is that now a, 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 a trust breaking issue is because the supplier is thinking they're a supplier. Their expectation is that they're a partner to the business, right? Because they are delivering raw materials, products, services that are very, very important, right? To help the business be successful, but the business is treating them as a vendor. It's a broken relationship before you know it, right? And you cannot yeah. have trust unless you understand that. I'll give you a simple story. 
right? One of the companies, um, you know, that that we kind of talked to and have worked with uh, for a number of years, right? You know, great relationship, right? You know, lots of everything. They've decided to change the payment terms. And so it wasn't right. like, you know, we're one of the top preferred supplier partners, quote, right? It wasn't like we got our stakeholders sending us an email or getting a call and saying, hey, guys, we're changing. You know what happened? One day, an envelope showed up with the honest to God stamp on it. And inside it was a form letter that said, be your vendor, in, in me, effective immediately. We're changing your payment terms to a minimum of 90 days to 150 days, depending on what service or product you provide. And if you have any questions, here is a link that's sent you to some procurement offshore place in Hyderabad, India. Yeah. Where you don't get a real person, you actually get to leave an email with your question and hope somebody answers it, right? Yes, yes. You're done. I mean, that's when you suddenly go, what is wrong with these clouds? <laughs> <laughs> right? We've been doing this stuff for five years. We had a great relationship. We've made them millions and millions of dollars, right? And actually added a few billion dollars in market cap value. And we get this 47 cent stamped email with a form letter with a link. Done. Yeah. That is, that is the problem, right? And I think you guys, as employees of the company you were in, and I think some of the stuff you talk about, write about is exactly that, is people who work for companies believe that they should be considered as an asset, right? Yeah. And an indispensable asset, right? And they should be taught. But what happens? We talk about our employees, right? And we don't treat them as assets, right? We tell them that now you got to come back to the office. You got to go work. You know, we're going to cut down the number of, uh, you know, and that's why like the American financial, like number of companies and are getting into trouble because again, it's a lack of clarity of the expectations and understanding of each other's expectations and creating first alignment on it, right? Yeah. Because if you do that and then you kind of have alignment, then life becomes very easy and trust becomes easier to earn. Now, as we all know, hard to earn, easy to lose, be very clear. But I think these are the kind of simple things that people have forgotten as they get in the business of the business. Yeah. So, um, you know, in your book, The Pyramid Puzzle, uh, let's shift this to consultants. And the value of a consultant, among many things, in my opinion, is that they have the outside in view that allows them to see things that you cannot see from the inside out. And also just the fact that they're a third party creates the sleeper effect that adds credibility to the messaging that management wants to share in terms of what types of changes, or what types of innovations they want to make. Now, all that being said, uh, the average business consultant, according to you, often focuses on the wrong things when they're called in to help a struggling brand or business. So what is it do you think that a lot of consultants get wrong? Yeah, I mean, you know, so again, let's, let's be very clear. Very smart people do great work, make an impact. The challenge that most consultants have is they are trained and groomed and work on driving operational impact on businesses, okay? So they look at the world from what are the processes that are more important? 
What is the you know what is the size of the market you need to be addressing? What you know what are, what is your what should your pricing strategy be? How can you drive improved performance, improved EBITDA? Right? It's all around the 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 tweaking of the business. Very few consulting firms right now or for a while have been built around the whole idea of understanding the human impact on business. Okay. Right. So what do you, and, and that is where the problem is. So, you know, a, a number of problems we get called into fix are, are basically, there's been a lot of work that's been done, right? There's a lot of money spent. I'll give you an example of another company, you know, that brought us in. And I remember, you know, we were referred to the then CEO of this company uh, by uh, an external, you know, uh, uh, advisor, if you will, who, you know, uh, and they were struggling with their growth strategy. They'd grown through a number of acquisitions and, you know, were doing well, but they were kind of growing the teams, growing the business, buying a lot of stuff. And, you know, and, uh, and but they didn't have what felt like a cohesive, uh, you know, growth strategy, right? Outside of, hey, let's go buy another company and integrate it, right? And, and we got pulled in. Um, and, and, you know, they they just finished a study with uh, a large consulting firm. Uh, it was Bain, actually, at that point in time and stuff like that. Some good, solid work. Right. And I remember the CEO and I having a conversation on a Sunday afternoon. Uh -huh. And his comment to me was, listen, you know, I've got some really talented people from McKinsey, BCG, da, 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 da on my team. We can figure this thing out. The problem is we're so busy, you know, integrating companies. We don't have the time uh, to get it done. That's why I'm calling you. I've been told that you guys can help us. And my comment to him, and it may sound a little arrogant, but wasn't meant to be, but meant to be is I said, you know, I'm sure you have very talented people, you know, those, you know, but I said, I don't think you'd ever get to the answers we would get to. And he, he goes, it was silence, right? Um, and he goes, what do you mean? I said, here's the issue. I said, what you guys are missing, having looked at your business, having looked at what you guys are doing, is you're fundamentally missing the one most important principle that you need to be focused on is you don't have a clear understanding of who that one end customer is, right? Whose needs you need to serve and what you need to do to serve the customer's needs. And that got him to kind of, you know, go, I don't know what you're talking about, right? Um, and then I said, that sounds very intriguing. Let's meet. So we went to meet with the entire leadership team, right? And, and in that conversation, I asked, you know, uh, the head of marketing and, and, you know, because, you know, the insights analytics was part of the organization. I said, can you give me an idea about who is your end customer, right? Not like the intermediary, right? The end customer. And they started giving me answers, which were basic, basically data-driven, right? And they went into, you know, demographics, at, you know, 55 to 75 years old, household income of a quarter of a million dollars, right? Living in homes, in suburbs, I mean, blah, 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 all of that. I said, no, 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 just tell me, a per, tell me the real, the one person who's going to start the process and will benefit from everything you guys do for them. And they had no way of describing a real human being outside of the demographics and the psychographics 
and some of the transactional data, right? What that's right. they were a part of and stuff like that. And 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 I looked at and, and that was when I looked at the CEO and I said, this is why you have a problem because you know that's what consulting firms tend to do. That's what happens because people lose touch of the fact that at the end of the day, there's no, there's not a customer, right? There's no household with two and a half children. Just you know, in another client, I'd ask a question. Two and a half. What's a half child? I mean, I'm Indian, man. We got big families, right? Yep. And you have a lot of children. I haven't had a, I haven't seen a half child in any of our families, right? What is so as part of a joke? So I think the question, the issue that changes, consultants do a great job if you want them to fix something operational, right? If you want to run some analytics, if you want to kind of figure it out. But if you don't start anything without the starting point of a human being at the other end. That actually is the reason why your business even exists, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. And in our case, when we jumped into that thing, we'll end up using some deep social science, uh, you know, methodologies, right? Anthropological, you know, did ethnography, stuff like that. And we were able to fundamentally understand the humans that drove their business success. And that inspired a lot of different insights and ideas, which led for this company to actually go public in the middle of COVID was the best, you know, biggest IPO at that point in time and, you know, became fairly, fairly successful and continues to succeed even today. So I think that's the context is why I kind of talk about it's not that consultants don't have a role to play. I mean, you know, they're all successful companies, but I think that their blind spot, which is the one I think is the most important blind spot that business leaders and business owners uh, need to fragment. Here's an interesting one for you, right? The smaller the business, the more, the more trusted they are because it closes to the end customers and they understand exactly what it is. The problem happens is the, as the businesses get bigger, they lose that touch. Then they become, right, completely yeah. out of touch. And that's where the problem is. And that's where, you know, I'm trying to kind of get people to focus on the idea of it's about human beings and trust is the foundation of any relationship, right? It's yeah. around them if, if you look at the triangle uh, and, and stuff. So I hope that answers your question. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so what I'd like to do now is define a few terms. And by the way, I love the amount of detail that you give us. Uh, sometimes these are just really easy, and I really appreciate the huge amount of value you're giving for us. I've got my own pad of paper out here, and I've written down some notes, so this is great. Uh, in your book, you identify that a business essentially has three constituents. Uh, they're your customers, your employees and your suppliers, and you've touched on at least two of the three so far. So, uh, you know, you also identify something called trust pressure points. So what is a trust pressure point and what, and how do they exist for each of these groups? Yeah. So I, I, I think I mentioned briefly a little bit about that earlier, right? So the trust pressure points are at a foundational level you know, what are the series of expectations or what are the differing expectations and how do you kind of create alignment on that, right? Yeah. So we talked about how suppliers expect to be treated as partners, but then they get treated as vendors, right? How employees expect to be treated as, uh, you know, assets, 
but the business treats them as expenses, right? <laughs> you know, and so indispensable asset is what an expectation of an associate is on a business, right? And then we treat them as disposable uh, expenses, right? Uh, you know, hey, you know what happened? The business is going poorly, so I'm going to fire X number of people, right? That's how I'm going to save money. Versus kind of looking at them and say, can they actually help me drive growth, right? Can they be yeah. the asset? Like, and, you know, and then when you think about consumers or customers, right, the customers are the most interesting part of it. The customers believe that they are the reason for the business to exist, right? So they are the ones who absolutely are the ones that should be treated most importantly, right? And, 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 and that's why what happens is they are expecting a business to kind of make a promise and deliver it, make a promise and make it friction free, make a promise and actually continue to deliver it. And I think this is another place where, where businesses try to do well, right? Which is where the marketing is there. They've got positioning platforms. They run millions of dollars of the campaigns with taglines and stuff like that. But what they don't realize is how, you know, how they don't realize that trust is not fundamentally just built on doing the big things right. It's actually built and maintained and strengthened by doing the small things even better, right? Right. Because that, so I'll give you, a, you know, talking about stories. I live in Chicago, like I said, right? United is our hometown airline, right? Because, you know, they've always had, they got a bunch of new taglines that they just launched, but I always remember them because of the fly the friendly skies, right? That's what they had for decades. And for a while they were, right? And because I travel a lot, you know, I've been one of the premier customers, and I've been traveling quite a bit. And, you know, I was also traveling during COVID because for some interesting reason, I got COVID before it became fashionable, right? So I had right. I had antibodies and so I was able to be on the road without being scared uh, for my health. Um, and I remember with all of the things around six feet distance, da, 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 but they were like, you know, we're sanitizing the plane, we're keeping it. We, we, you know, not only are we flying the friendly skies, we're flying the safest skies, right, with us. Well, I, I board a flight to go to the West, uh, you know, to, to uh, one day, and I'm in 3B. I turn right. I was, you know, the, uh, I turn right to kind of get on. And you know what I see for a plane that had been delayed by about 20 minutes because they were sanitizing and cleaning it, right, was first thing I see is I see a toothpick, right, right uh, by 1B. And then I'm in 3E. Um, uh, e, Right in front of my seat, I see a crumpled facial tissue. Guess what happened? Tell me. I went from feeling like I trust this airline, right? I'm completely okay waiting for 20 more minutes to board, right? Because they're sanitizing it, they're taking care of my safety, right? Yes, uh -huh. I felt safer than most people, but you know what? I was still wearing a mask, right? I was still yeah. kind of carrying sanitizers, right? Yeah. And stuff like that. And I walk in and guess what happened? I felt very unsafe all of okay. a sudden because a toothpick for on the ground didn't get there by itself. Must have been in somebody's mouth, I'm assuming, or somewhere, right? And a crumpled tissue didn't get there, right? The fact that they said they cleaned it and I felt I the entire flight, I refused to drink any coffee, didn't take any water, just sat with my mask on. And, and you know what happened? The next three months, I only flew American. Yeah. Okay. Because I lost trust. I did not believe them when they said that the, the plane was safe. 
right? Yeah, and 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 the thing is, it's 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 is you know we discussed in my story, it's such a seemingly minor event, but it has such a big impact on uh, your perception of trust and your ability to feel confidence in your organization. I mean, some might look at that and say, well, goodness gracious, man, it's just a damn toothpick. But when you look at the surrounding issues and how you view them through the lens of your truth, Zane's truth, not somebody else's truth, that's a big deal to you. And, and you know, for, frankly, it's a big deal with everybody. And so one of the questions that I've, I've asked, right, uh, them and everybody else is, you know, so who who should be accountable on this, right, at their place? Because, you know, in some places, you know, wouldn't the purser or some of the people on the staff just put on the gloves that they have and just pick that stuff up and clean up? And you know what? They weren't feeling safe in those days either. They weren't feeling like they wanted to fly, but they didn't have a choice. Right. right. So there was so there was no trust between the, the team on the plane and the organization. Right. So it was, you know, you see that. And that's why you realize the importance of trust and, and the importance of having everybody on your team be aligned on the same expectation. You know, another yeah, I'm, one of my favorite brands actually became my favorite brand thanks to my wife. Right. Again. COVID, couldn't go to the gym, you know, so she said, let's go get a Peloton, right? Peloton was one of the hottest brands during COVID. So I spent $3,000, got a Peloton, you know, a number of, you know, shoes, kits, everything else. And then about six months ago, I don't know if you know, but they started, called, they sent out an email for a recall, right? You know, it, the seat, uh, uh, but the pole with the seat was breaking, right? So they had to recall all of that. I got an email for the recall. I go down and I take a look at the seat I've been using. I'm like, oh my God, I love these guys. Thank you for telling me because this thing actually would have broken in a few weeks, right? Uh, uh, along the way. So I fill out the form and send it for a recall six months ago. Now it's a little more that now, right? No answer, no answer. I send out a few emails, no answer, no answer. I finally call after a 90 minute wait. It sounds like I'm at a call center and I'm saying, when am I getting the seat? Pull, right? Because without that, I can't use it anymore. Right. And 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 they said, um, um let, let us check. And they go, uh, well, we don't have a clear timeline yet, uh, but it could be. So I said, but you have to give me at least some time, right? Well, it could be somewhere between 90 to 120 more days, sir. Right? So this is almost almost four and a half months after I filled out the form, right? Right. And so I finally turn around and go, okay. Um that's fine. May I please uh, get uh, see if I can get a refund on my monthly subscription, right? Yeah. So I'm paying $65 a month, which I can't use. Uh, so, well, we can't help you with that, da-da-da. So let me go get a manager and they go, well, we can't help you with that. We've got to reach out. Let me, let me, well, we will get back to you. I said, how much time do you think it'll take to get back to me? He goes, well, 24 to 48 hours, right? Yeah. Now, that was almost a month ago now. Adam? No, yeah. right? I've tried calling a couple of times. I've dropped after five, 10 minutes, right? I've written three emails, nothing, zero. Now think about Peloton, right? I got a 3000 piece of equipment that sits up and looks at me in the face when I, when I go down to, and you know, and I start kind of walking on our elliptical machine, all right? And I'm going, man, I, I prefer the bike a lot, right? Stuff like that. But the fact that, again, right? They haven't been able to kind of take the experience that they created, right? And it just takes one thing. It just takes one thing like this whole thing of not having the front lines. 
And you know the problem what happened in the front lines with a lot of these people? They apologize when you call them. We're, we're yeah. so sorry. And go, don't apologize. Just tell me something or give me clarity. Set an expectation that I can basically get behind on how we're going to tell us. If they just told me, sir, short supply, all of that, we will get it to you in 90 days. But, but you know, and then start sending me an update email regularly. You know what impressed me about our conversation today? I got what? seven emails from you since we scheduled this, right? When you oh, yeah. scheduled this. You know, and you had an you had an email of 10 minutes before start time saying, hey, man, we're starting in 10, right? You're uh -huh. setting a clear expectation that we're going to start this on time. We're doing this in a professional, disciplined way. And guess what happened? It got me lined up, right? I'm very focused to perform at the best level I can, answer as much as I can of your questions to bring value to you and your, you know, stakeholders, right? That is... That is setting expectations. And, and by doing that, you, even before we met, right, I felt like I could trust you. I felt like I could respect you. Felt I could actually, I needed to lean forward to earn and, you know, and get reciprocity. It's that simple to earn. It's hard to keep. Very easy to break again. Yeah. Absolutely. So just to tell you a little bit about our process, uh, you being a guest of the Business Creators Radio Show, here's what happened. Uh, you work with you work with a publicity agency and they uh, they send us their best clients all the time and ask if we would like to have them on our show. Uh, we take most of them because you work with a, uh, C.S. Lewis. So they're really great. So we take almost everybody they send to us. And, uh, you know, I saw your topic. And I got real excited about it. So I said yes to it. Then my assistant uh, reached out to, I don't know if it was your assistant yep. or your contact at, at CS. I'm not sure who it was, but somebody filled out, uh, went to our scheduling form and booked the date and time. So as soon as you did that, as soon as they did that and they put it in your email address, you got an immediate notification that the interview had been scheduled. And then you got three reminders. There was one yesterday, I believe, one this morning. And then there was one 10 minutes before, as you said. In addition to that, once we have the interview scheduled, uh, we add you to our uh, CRM system. And the way we have that set up is my producer fills out a form where she also copy pastes in the date and time of your interview and your Zoom link that was generated when the, when, when the booking was done. So you got that within one business day after the interview was scheduled because she, she catches them up each business morning. In addition to that, she sent you a personal email. Um, I can't remember if it was this morning or maybe it was last Thursday. I can't remember which, but there's another personal contact that goes out. The reason we do that is so that you see follow-ups from three different sources. Uh, that that's that that's actually a rule of thumb. Three different sources, and you also see a mixture of automation and the personal touch, and you see different formats. So that if uh, one just kind of glazes over, there's a good chance that another one will really catch your eye. It's very strategic how we do that, and it works. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and of all the things I get feedback on on this show, the number one thing is feedback that I get are guests saying, I love all those reminders you set, which kind of puts pay to the whole idea that you can possibly send too many emails to somebody who wants to receive them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think to me, yeah, uh, because they came to me and they came to my, uh, you know, assistant uh, Bridget, right? Yeah. 
you know, it, it felt a little too much, but, 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 but I had to kind of look at it and go, man, this is cool, right? This is uh -huh. perfect because, and you're right. I think the multidimensional touches and I think the different ways of looking at it definitely got me engaged and to mindset of this is going to be a fun conversation, right? Uh -huh. um, and it's going to be, you know, and obviously it gave me enough time with the reminders to go check out some of the stuff you've done, the kind of, you know, check out your books um, and, you know, get a sense on what it was going to be like to kind of meet up for the first time and actually spend, you know, almost an hour chatting. So Absolutely. So uh, in the time we have left, uh, what I want to get into is to give people a little bit of a taste of your book, The Pyramid Puzzle, which I'm going to read myself. Now, it's kind of a storytelling format and you have three protagonists who put their heads together to save a brand. A legacy brand is kind of on the skids. So you have your main protagonist. You named him Joseph Chandler. He's a business professor. And his role yeah. in the process, well, it's somewhat self-evident. But he also works side by side with a young woman whose first interest is the social sciences and her boyfriend, who is a philosophy major. So how do all these come together, particularly those latter two disciplines, and relate to this whole thing of trust and business success? Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, as we start thinking about the whole idea around, you know, humanity, right? You know, the fact that we're all about people, every business should be thinking of business as people. You know, the social sciences are all about understanding people and people's role in society and people's ability to interact with each other, right? And all. So, you know, and those social sciences came out of the foundational learnings about people and how people behave and what's good beer, what's not from whether it's the Ten Commandments or in this case, I, you know, Sam Samesh uh, is a philosophy major who's getting a PhD, right? And is working on the Mahabharata, which is one of, you know, uh, two uh, Indian epics, right? And, and the entire story about, uh, is built around how people you know, uh, go through life with adversity, you know, have go through different challenges. And it's about the right and the wrong, right? It's about the values and showing the values. And that's how, you know, society and we all develop the foundation of the right things to do, not the right things to do, right? Through those myths, through those stories, whether it was Homer writing the Iliad and whether, you know, you have the Mahabharata Ramayana, whether you've got all of the stuff that's written in the Bible, right? And all of the, uh, you know, and all of the books. It's all about fundamentally what does good look like? What does not good look like? And what are the foundations? And if you read all of those at the foundational level, pun not intended again, is uh, the fact that trust and building trust requires certain fundamental principles. If you then go back and move to the modern world, right? Starting from the, you know, 19th century through now, and you look at the sciences, what the sciences have done, sociology, anthropology, cultural anthropology, psychology, psych, you know, all of the sciences, of, sciences have only built rigor and proven what the ancients lived and told stories about. And then what, and so that's Gabby, right? So, you know, Sam kind of actually adds dimension to the sciences, and gives it grounding. But what, uh, uh, you know, uh, Professor Chandler brings is modern management approaches, right? And if you think about today's ma uh, management approaches, they're built around an understanding of behaviors and beliefs, right, from a humanity standpoint, but also then starting to 
implement those in a, in a manner that is data-driven, that's trackable, and that is can build a platform and a foundation of success, right? And so the whole idea as, as these characters developed, right? When I decided to write this as a business novel and a business story versus a traditional business book like my first two, it became how do you kind of have these characters still be authentic, but how do you also have them understand humans in a few different ways, but then be able to actually bring it to life with, with, with actions that a business can take. And you know, what's been, what's been very rewarding for me, Adam, is I, I don't know if you know, but this book actually uh, was a Wall Street Journal bestseller in nonfiction, came in at number three. Uh, behind Richard Oppenheimer's book and Stephen Hopkins's new book. But I think the feedback that I've gotten from people who, who've read it and experienced it is fundamentally been, it is not, a, not only a book that they enjoyed reading, they could read it pretty easily and quickly, but they could actually understand the foundational principles, but understand how to implement them, right? Um, you know, Best story, very early in the soft launch, I got somebody who runs IT for a pretty large organization uh, and came to me, asked me for an autograph of the book. And this book, as he said, I read it in four hours. Had, he had circles, certain pages, dog ears, certain things, would you mind autographing it? And I looked at him and I looked at the book, and absolutely, if somebody's read it, but you've actually engaged with it, he goes, yes, I just sent so a number of emails to my teams with things that we need to address because what had happened was he'd taken over a role of leading, you know, IT, an IT organization within the company, and they were having challenges with the business stakeholders. And he goes, I suddenly realized that we didn't have clarity on what they needed. And I said, I've been pushing my team to do quick sprints and weekend sprints to deliver on everything that they want. And I just realized that I had not set clear expectations of them or my team, right? And all of a sudden, this has just given me a way to actually do something that I believe can help. And so, you know, it's uh, it's it's kind of been a very simple foundation, but it became came about because I no longer have the bandwidth or the time to read a traditional business book and try to understand the frameworks and then figure out how to bring it to life. And I thought writing a story and writing it as a narrative and telling a story, as we've all learned, from ancient wisdom, the Mahabharata is a story, right? You know, and people read it and people want to read stories today. And it seems to have worked. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that is awesome. I I, I love that. So um, as we wrap up here, I have one other question that uh, we have just a few minutes here. And uh, I just want to, you know, sort of use this to sort of bring things together and give our listeners something they can start acting on right away. So basically, what does the pursuit of trust look like in practical terms, such as where should a struggling brand start in order to turn things around? What are some of the most cost-effective ways to use uh, presumably limited financial resources? And uh, I think presumably... ...is is in uh, unneeded resources these days. So what does that look like in practical terms? Adam, I lost a little bit of what you asked at the back end. Would you mind just kind of going back maybe six seconds? Oh, I can happily do that. Uh, basically, what I was saying is just what does trust look like in practical terms? Uh, when you have yeah. companies that want to uh, rescue a, I uh, I, a brand that's I on think, its... Uh, yeah. But yeah, let me give you like maybe a, a quick, simple step 
uh, you know, step one, identify who the true human being is that is responsible for the existence of your business and the success or the failure of your business. And that is yeah. normally going to be a end customer or a consumer who, you know, that is the one who starts the process by saying, I got a problem that you can solve for me, right? So start with that and make sure that you got the right person there because a lot of people get confused and start looking at different people in the entire value chain as important versus the person who actually needs to be one. Uh, so find that person, understand that person. Second, clear, make, uh, figure out what problem that they have that you can clearly solve in a way nobody else can, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be differentiated. It just has to be distinct, right? And But make it clear. And then, and then set that clear expectation. If you, Zane, have this specific problem, the, me, the brand, right, X, will solve it specifically so, right? Clearly set an expectation, right? Um, and then make sure that you deliver it <laughs> consistently and you deliver it across whatever the different touch points. But to do that, then what you need is you need to make sure that your employees are completely aligned, that that's the one problem we're going to solve, right? That one problem, yeah. we're going to be the friendliest airline on the thing. And friendly means, you know, not just smiling, happy people, right? Not just people singing songs and giving you peanuts, which is how Southwest built a friendly reputation. But friendly means you're making it safe. Here are the different ways. You we are going to be friendly, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. And then make sure that they find supplier partners and make them true partners and say, your job is to give me innovation, product, everything, you know, on up, you know, that allows us to to deliver on this one promise, right? And and you know, and if you do that, and if you start getting everybody aligned, all of a sudden, what happens is hey, your suppliers start feeling like partners and they're going to give you ideas about, maybe here's how we make them friendly. Maybe here's some ch chocolate chip cookies that we can kind of actually put with the meals that we can stay warm, right? Or yeah. whatever. So that's how you align it. And, and if you just do that and simply start with the end customer, understand problem you want to solve, align your entire organization and, and then start delivering on that, you know, Again, you don't have to do big things. Most people decide to do that, start saying, I'm going to run a big advertising campaign. I'm going to make these big changes. Just start small, right? Do things, start building up trust by doing small things right, small things right, small things right. You know, make sure that you don't mess up there. And, and you know what? Life is going to be good. And I'll give you one small tip minute example because you started with a micro moment from your life i was doing a workshop with a, with a company a couple of weeks ago and they were struggling with getting aligned on the idea as a team on a bunch of different transformational initiatives and and i did a small little work session during that day because i noticed one simple thing that i made them change right one simple thing how they ran meetings right just one thing and that I've now heard a few weeks later from them has started making such a huge impact on the context of the team dynamics, the team culture and the performance, right? You know, and small story, these guys kept on struggling because you know what happened in meetings? Depending on how senior you were to the junior, people just showed up early or late to meetings. 
the junior most person showed up to the meeting on time and the senior most person was anywhere between 11 to 12 minutes late, right? That was wow. their system, okay? And then the second thing that they had in the system is they always had to have an agenda and they have like this unspoken rule, agendas needed to have at least five items to kind of have a meeting, right? They were trying to cut the number of meetings down. So they said, the more things you can discuss in a meeting, I guess requires you, so people land up, right? I basically said two things. I said, everybody get to the meeting on time, right? And I know, right? Don't worry about the agenda. Start with what's the one outcome we want to get out of this meeting? And then each of you, and I've had them write on a, on a sticky, uh, that one, what's your one outcome that you all want to write and get aligned, right? And then what we had, I sat through the meeting, right? Fly on the wall. When they had the meeting, I just asked them to write down the second thing. Did you get what you wanted as an alignment of the meeting. And it's fascinating out of the 12 people, 10 of them got alignment on what they wanted. Two others didn't. Guess the two others, who the two that didn't were the top two people in the company. Wow. So just- That, is, that is something. Yeah. And you know, just showing up on time starts the process of building trust, right? Because you set an expectation that we're going to start a meeting on time and you met the expectation. <laughs> <laughs> instead of trying to have a long agenda, what's, a, what's the outcome we want? What do we want to walk away from this that says we accomplished our purpose, right? It suddenly gets down to an end in mind, which is another expectation, right? And it's just easy to start this in small ways in your life starting today, right? And in your business starting now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... Um, I really appreciate your time today. And what I do want to do is I want to give our listeners another place to go. So there are two websites. Uh, the first one I'm going to mention is Shapiro Raj, S-H-A-P-I-R-O-R-A-G.com. And this is your strategic insights consultancy where people can discover a lot more about the work that you and your partners do. I also want to point them to your personal website, Zane Raj, Z-A-I-N-R-A-J.com. And when you go there, scroll down a bit and you will see the books. In our conversation today, we've touched on a few principles from the pyramid puzzle. So you can see the opportunity to get that book. And then I mentioned you had a couple other books, Marketing for Tomorrow, Not Yesterday, and Brand Rituals. Those are available there as well. So for many of our listeners, that's a great place to just sort of jump in. And I encourage you to do that. So visit those two websites. They are in the show notes and you will be able to easily find them. And with that, I thank you so much, Zane, for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Adam, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on board. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.